This is the HIV Diaries Podcast. A production of Bruiser TV LLC. The doctor is in. My name is Dr. Jay Thomas. This is the HIV Diaries Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Podbean, Facebook, facebook.com backslash HIV Diaries. Also available on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and soon to be a number of other places. It's going to be pretty cool once we really get all the uh, expansion uh, push through here that we're planning. It's, it's going to be cool stuff. Wait till you see it. Real quick, want to address the Apple Podcast thing. I know some people have contacted us privately about that, and we are very much aware of it as well uh, in regards to not being able to be found on Apple Podcasts from time to time. We'll be there one day, and then the next day we won't. It's very, very bizarre and strange. I know, but thank you all who have contacted us about it. We really, really do appreciate it. I was getting ready to do Honor Thy Children this week and decided, number one, that I'd already, even though I teased the discussion of child abuse, realized I kind of already discussed it a little bit, right? But there was still a little bit more that needed to be done. And I had a particular story I wanted to tell uh, in regards to something in my own personal life that took place when I was younger. And while I was in the middle of preparing for this show and getting ready to do this, Um, somebody, uh, sent me something and that was this. The former director of Allen County Children's Services has been indicted by an Allen County grand jury. Cynthia Scanlon has been indicted on three counts of tampering with records, a count of obstructing official business, and one count of dereliction of duty. Scanlon was terminated as a director of Children's Services following an internal investigation. The Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation also launched an investigation into the agency following the sexual abuse claims made against Jeremy Kindle and Scott Steffes. A special prosecutor from Henry County on Scanlon's case confirmed the charges are related to the investigation into Children's Services. They date all the way back to 2015. Scanlon will be arraigned next week. Courtesy of Hometown Stations. Dot com for that story there. Jessica Gavin, I believe is her name, was the anchor on that story. Allen County Children's Services, former executive director, I guess, facing felony charges. Uh, that was from Hometown Stations. Now what I'm about to read to you is coming from LimaOhio.com. Cynthia Scanlon fired last month by the Allen County Children's Services Board. <clears throat> and this was published, uh, uh, this was published, I believe, in September. Indicted by a grand jury on four felony counts and one misdemeanor charge related to her employment as the county agency's executive director. Scanlon, 53 of Arlington, was indicted by the grand jury on three counts of tampering with records. All felonies of the third degree, a fifth degree felony charge of obstructing official business and a misdemeanor count of dereliction of duty. The Allen County Children's Services Board of Directors on August 21st voted to terminate the employment of Scanlon effective immediately. Uh, Scanlon's signed an agreement that provides her with three and a half months of severance pay. Well, isn't that just pretty? The board also accepted the resignations of program administrators Brent Bunk and Stacy Nichols at the same time. God, that name sounds familiar. Stacy Nichols. The employees reportedly were the targets of an investigation in the case of Jeremy Kendall and Scott Steffs. In July 2018, Kendall and Steffs 
His partner were foster parents and adopted three boys ages three through eight through children's services. Kendall and Steph's already had legal custody of three boys between the age of 14 and 17 at the time. An Allen County grand jury in July handed down a combined 127 felony charges against the two men, including counts of rape, sexual contact with a minor, and sexual battery. Steph's 38 and Kendall 35 were charged with 62 and 65 felony counts respectively. The charges were based on a series of alleged incidents that led the three children's services employees to be placed on administrative leave. The external investigation found reason to believe that agency staff failed to follow established protocol by not reporting allegations made about Kendall and Steph's on two occasions prior to their arrests in May. The investigation found no evidence that any employee thought that sexual abuse was occurring and covered it up. Rather, it appears that close relations between the foster parents and the agency clouded these employees' perceptions, according to a statement released August 21st by the Children's Services Board. Now, one thing I want to address here before I get into this story there was something in this story uh that caught my eye uh, and i'm going to touch on it real real briefly and i don't know if this was necessarily thought about before this was written but if this was not caught by the editor shame on that editor for this in this story this writer outed one of the people that was involved in this story allegedly outed their sexual orientation and i thought that was a not so nice thing to do. It's also kind of a little bit on the unethical side. And what I mean by that is this. The employees reportedly were the targets of an investigation in the case Jeremy Kendall Scott Steffs. In July 2018, Kendall and Steffs, his partner, were foster parents. What does it matter if that's his partner? I think we've already established Jeremy Kendall and Scott Steffs were together. What does it matter if they're gay? Are you trying to establish that because they're gay, that somehow they're involved in pedophilia? What is wrong with you people who write these kinds of stories and, and out people sexually? I'm sorry. That pisses me off a little bit. Okay, that, that line had no, no, no place in that story. We've already established that it's the partner. I think we can figure out that they were gay. You don't need to out them little bit on the shady side. Wouldn't you agree? <sighs> okay, now that I got that out. This is a very disturbing story out of my hometown. And I feel terrible for those young men that uh, were the alleged victims here in this story. I'm not going to comment on the people accused because I don't really know much about them on a personal level. And to be quite honest with you, it's... um. This is kind of a personal story for me. And here's why. I've spoken before about when I was younger and my parents divorced and so forth. But in order to give this story justice that I'm going to tell you today, uh, I need to give you a little bit of a background. Number one, the story that I'm about to tell you takes place around 25 to 30 years ago, at least, at least, with various other elements taking place later, which will be described. But an overwhelming majority of the story that I'm about to tell you took place prior to the early 90s, 94, 95, took place much prior to that, actually. In fact, a good portion of it takes place in the 80s. 
and it takes place at a time when things were different in the world. Things were different in regards to child custody cases. Things were different in regards to visitations. Things were different in regards to attitudes in courts of law. But there are a lot of similarities in this case of what I'm about to describe to you to the case that I just described to you that's going on right now in Lima with the former executive director of Allen County Children's Services. In fact, it even takes place in Allen County. And it did involve children's services. An agency that is devoted, claims to be devoted rather, to protecting children. My parents, um, even from the time that they were engaged prior to this, were very... To to say they had a love-hate relationship, I think, would be the kind way of saying they just didn't get along a lot. But the story goes back further than that. And this involves allegations of sexual abuse by a close family member. And this involves sexual abuse, allegedly, from the biological father of my mother. At one point in my life, my mother told me a story. She never told it again, but she told me a story once. And it stuck with me. About how when she was younger, some of the things that her biological father would do to her. And this was at a time much earlier than the 80s. When things like that were known, people knew, but it was just kind of poo-pooed off. Oh, just stay away from that person. He'll do things to you. That was the attitude back then. Well, as my mother got older, these things stuck with her. And she had a very difficult time dealing with these incidents from her childhood and her adolescence as she got older. And it carried on into motherhood for her. And she developed a mental illness because of it. And it was to no fault of my father or my dad's side of the family or my, you know, these siblings of her. She just, she developed a lot of issues because of what happened to her in her younger years. So she goes into motherhood and has a lot of issues. And then my brother in 1985 was born. And my parents split almost immediately after that. Literally, like he was born and then I want to say a week or two later, they separated and they were done. They were going to get divorced. Well, one thing led to another. They got back together. And when they got back together, it wasn't too long after that, that, hey, mom's pregnant again. So I guess it must have been a pretty amicable getting back together. (laughs) So uh, nine months later, of course, my other brother, my youngest brother, my last brother was born. And my mother suffered from some pretty nasty postpartum depression to the point where combined with her mental illness... She decided shortly after my youngest brother was born that she was going to take a bottle of pills, put them down her throat, go to sleep. And uh, I was there. Do you know how I know that I was there outside of the obvious? Because she did it right in front of me. She did this right in front of me and then told me to go upstairs and never come back down. I called my grandma and explained, hey, this is what's going on. And at the time, there was a woman in the neighborhood who I believe my grandmother had some contact with back and forth, had the phone number, you know, because she would watch me from time to time. 
and called her and she came over. And this was at a time when everybody in the neighborhood kind of knew everybody, those old days, you know, back before everybody became antisocial because of social media. <laughs> Crazy as that sounds. Paramedics showed up and they revived her, brought her back. And one thing led to another. And it wasn't too long after that, that my parents did end up eventually getting a divorce. And when they went to court, my uh, father had a lawyer who never really fought for him. And this was also at a time when fathers were basically frowned on at the courts. You know, the courts didn't look at fathers as being very good people because they were men and men were evil in the eyes of the courts. And my father had a lawyer that let him basically get raked across the coals by a woman who accused my father of every single nasty thing in the book that you could possibly think of. And this lawyer just sat there and let him have this happen to him. My father was accused of a lot of different stuff, of a lot of different things that uh, never happened. My father was accused of beating up us kids. Never happened. Do you know how I know it never happened? Because I witnessed my mother do it and then say, if you don't say that that was done by your daddy, I'm going to hurt you more. And I was witness to a lot of it. During the course of the divorce, there was a point in time when I was asked to come in and testify. And I was maybe four, five. And I you know, was given a little stand to sit on, you know, little books on the chair and had to talk to the judge. And hey, oh my gosh, this is, this is kind of cool. This is a big room, blah, blah, blah. Oh my God, you know, stuff a four-year-old says. And I got questioned by both lawyers on both sides, you know. And I was asked who I wanted to go live with. And I said I wanted to go live with my daddy. Well, this was done in front of my mother and in front of her lawyer who was doing everything she possibly could to make my father look like a wife-beating, drunken fool, all of which was untrue. And there she is, this woman who was just this I'm sorry, she was a bitch. <laughs> my, wife, my mom's lawyer was a bitch. Sorry to use that language, but she was. And now she's been humiliated in a court of law. So was my mother. Because she got caught lying. She got caught lying. You know, my mother would make up these stories about how that my father was doing all these nasty things. And at one point, even saying that my father was, you know, threatening her and all this other stuff and, and how that, you know, she feared for her life and her children's lives and couldn't go anywhere without any kind of problems and how she felt so humiliated and traumatized and defamed and slandered. And then we go to court and I sit in front of a judge and I humiliate her with the truth as a child at the age of four. Imagine having to grow up with that. As I got older, really much older into my 20s, I realized it wasn't my fault. You know, and while it would be easy to blame her, um, 
I don't want to say it wasn't her fault completely because it was. She needed to be held accountable and she was. But at the same time too, you know, I wonder if maybe there was a part of her upbringing that maybe didn't contribute to some of that, you know? And when you think about it, honor thy children. And her biological father never did. Out of the divorce, my mom remarried to the uh, man that she was having an affair on my father with. Couldn't make that one up if I tried. And then uh, they got divorced because she claimed that he was beating her, much like she accused my father of. At this point, my mother met a, she met a drug dealer who was one of the more prominent ones in Lima, Ohio at the time, early 90s, and turned her out. And she became a drug addict for the next 15, 16 years or so. And she did eventually clean herself up and get herself on the right track. But um, yeah, that happened. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, how does a children's service agency play into this? Here's why. During the course of the divorce, children's services would from time to time come to the apartment. This is 86, 87. And one time in particular, I remember this. Um, my brother, youngest brother, uh, just been born. So he was m maybe, I don't know, one if that. My middle brother had just celebrated, I think, his second birthday. So he was running around like a little wild banshee. And here I am, about four or five years old, you know, young, but still aware of my surroundings. And one day a children's service worker comes to the apartment and the kids are being kids. I think my youngest brother had just been laid down for his nap. Here's my middle brother running around the house. And my mother and this child service worker are attempting to have a conversation about whatever it was. And my mother, in the middle of the conversation, because my brother's just running around, just loses her mind. She grabs my brother and starts beating the living hell out of him right in front of this social worker, this child protective social worker. And the social worker is just sitting there looking at this, watching it unfold and doing nothing. And then she grabs him, drags him down the floor, up the stairs, to his bedroom, comes back down. My mother apologizes. Oh, I'm sorry you had to see that. This is what this child protective social worker said. Are you ready? This was her response. That's all right. If it wasn't for what that man that you're divorcing did to you, you wouldn't have had to do that right now. This actually happened. And while I understand that's not indicative of every child protective social worker, when I see stories like that come out of my hometown, like the one I described to you earlier, you understand why I'm not really surprised? It's sad. It's really sad. Children should be respected and honored. You know? Not taken advantage of. I think I'm going to end the show now uh, before I get any more emotional, but I'm going to close with a song this week on the HIV Diaries podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Podbean, Facebook, um, Facebook.com, as I said, backslash HIV Diaries, Stitcher and iHeartRadio. 
And from his album, The Walls Came Down, here's Colin Ray with the 11th Commandment. And I want you to listen to the words in this song. It's incredibly powerful, all right? We'll see you next time on the HIV Diaries. My name is Dr. J. Thomas. You guys take care out there, and God bless. She hears his heavy breathing in the dark His footsteps coming closer down the hall She's so ashamed she's daddy's secret love She wants to cry, she wants to die But he can't get enough on his face will go away Mom keeps him home from school till they fade She's sorry he was born and tells him so He takes it in He hangs his chin He ducks another blow stops He shakes so hard his little cradle rocks He'll never have the chance to be brand new He'll never walk He'll never talk He's addicted to Honor thy children